Welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio, everybody. I think I was a bit flat there. This week on the show, guys, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing well. This week on the show, we interviewed a man. Well, I interviewed a man, actually. His name is David Matheson. He is a star myth investigator, guys. And if you guys are into mythology, if you're into... Uh, non-Western-based science and history. So I'm talking about the Graham Hancocks of the world, the the Randall Carlsons, the Dr. Carmen Bulters, all those people that think there are or there is more to history than uh, meets the eye than we were than we were initially taught in school. Then this episode is for you guys. We spoke about everything from religion to spirituality to consciousness to uh to what some of the myths like Noah's Ark and uh and even things like Jesus and, and, and Krishna and Vishnu and all that stuff really mean and, and what and what the stars could could uh could hold for us all. So it's it's fascinating stuff guys. Even if you're not into it, it's uh it's uh it's pretty groundbreaking. Guys, today's episode is brought to you by Quash Creative. Quash Creative is an Elwood based freelance design firm run by our mate Sean Mush. His sole aim is to solve business challenges with creative solutions whether that solution is a new website, logo, or marketing strategy. If you come to him with a problem, he'll work out the most effective way to solve it. Offer is, if you mention AdventureFit Radio, when you hook up with Shawnee, he will give you a free basic SEO report on your website or feedback on your existing brand. Guys, we are also brought to you by Audible. So Audible is an online world basically, of, uh, of audiobooks. It's where I get all of my books from. I still try to read a book a month, uh, a book every two weeks, a book a month. But uh, when I'm on the go, guys, is when I listen to all my Audible books. And I've just started The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. I can't recommend that book highly enough. Guys, if you are into reading but don't feel like you have the time for it, head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF and you will get one free monthly credit when you subscribe. Finally, we are, as always, sponsored by Adventure Fit Travel. We just had Kokoda. Bilbo just got back from uh, from Kokoda. I said it was fantastic. There is Thailand, Katow coming up. Dimitri Klokov will be on that one. So get a bit of Russian vodka into you with, uh, with old mate Dimitri Klokov. Keep up to date with anything Adventure Fit, guys. Mention or, I guess, use the promo code ADVF and you'll get 10% off all of our awesome merch. Without further ado, here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another episode of Adventure Fit Radio. I am Skyping with uh, David Matheson, who we will learn a lot. Is that how you say Matheson, mate? 
Yeah, that's right. Tom. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Got it right the first time. Go me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to get into it very shortly, guys. But uh, this is the first time I've ever introduced myself about to serenade. So this is a, a funny one. But uh, without further ado, here's Tommy's tribute. <laughs> so, uh, so Dave, I've covered um, a. Uh, what sort of music into you, mate? Well, yeah, I, uh, I listen to both AC and DC there. From, <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys call it? The Akadakas? Or yeah, something. the Akadakas. <laughs> beautiful, man. Beautiful. Well, that's uh, sort of on the level of, of what I'm doing. So I've gone with a uh, a cover of Glycerine by the band Bush. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see how we go. <laughs> Alrighty, mate, let's do it. Just a bit of a long intro here. (laughs) (laughs) There's a story to tell, so give it a yell. And Dave is here to blow your ear He can talk about stars and the spirit worlds I've never spoken to any girls And I know why I'm so very pumped And I can't wait for my knowledge to get trumped And so let Dave blow your mind It's gonna be edge of your seat Rad shit, Matheson. Matheson. <laughs> Matheson. Welcome aboard, mate. Oh, very nice, Tom. I I, uh, I love the uh, intro <laughs> serenade that you guys do. I've listened to a few shows in preparation. So. Oh, beautiful, man. Beautiful. <laughs> breathless in anticipation. Yeah. Never been, never yeah, been oh. serenaded. Oh, mate, podcast. that's classic. Boy, we, yeah, um, that's, uh, we that's had, very um, unique. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks. We, um, yeah, we did a we did an episode towards the end of uh, towards the end of last year, which was basically uh, the best and worst of Tommy's tributes. And I only recently um, <laughs> listened back to a lot of those, and some of them I was pretty happy with, but uh, some of them were just absolutely appalling. So hopefully that one oh, that, makes that the was, uh, the first yeah, list. Top ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had my uh, I felt um, yeah I felt on point there. I thought my voice was all right then. So. Oh, that's yeah, classic. Excellent, excellent, excellent guitar. So you've been playing since you were what two? Yeah, I've been playing. Yeah, well, I've been playing. Well, when would I have started? I would have started probably, I think, when I was about ten or eleven years old. So it's it's been a fair while. And I mean, I don't do um, uh, sort of any lessons or anything now. I just kind of practice and uh, do my own thing and just kind of do shitty covers for uh for the podcast benefit. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. You're setting up, uh, you know, setting up vibrations in in uh, that's what it's all yeah made out of anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something to uh, keep the the voice humming along too. Do you play an instrument at all, mate? Or? Uh, actually, I do play a little piano. Oh, beautiful, sweet man. Yeah. What um What sort of music? You know, I like boogie woogie. Oh, <laughs> so you can a, play the boogie woogie. Gonna, yeah, my mom's oh. actually better at boogie woogie than I am on the piano, but uh, <laughs> I do like to uh, I do like to bang bang on the ivories uh, sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Beautiful, man. You know, I, I I think music's pretty important, and uh, totally singing's pretty important. And actually, you know, we we can uh, we can go all all over in the interview wherever you want to go. Too bad. Shout out to Doc. You should go grab him out of bed and yeah. uh, <laughs> drag him over here. That's but, right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think that actually, you know, singing and chanting are part of virtually every culture and in mm. some cultures you know that's like one of the first things you do when you wake up is you mm. chant or you sing and you do it before you go to bed at night and mm. uh, 
it's like we're uh, actually instruments ourselves. So anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm yeah. actually... I'm actually interested to find out how you how you learned about me or what uh, what caused you to to give me a call and uh, uh, ask me to come on the show. I'm I'm happy you did. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Well, um, basically, uh, before before we just before we get stuck into into who you are and um and what we're going to discuss, um, uh, so Bill and I got into to uh, Bill actually introduced me to podcasting and um, we started listening to people like Joe Rogan and all this sort of stuff and and we. We uh we came across an episode with Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock, and right on, yeah. as I'm sure you're aware of those two people, and um it just basically sparked this this love of knowledge about um about the universe and and um and about things we don't know. I think both Bill and myself love being humble in that in that I guess almost that that ignorance that we just don't even know things that we don't know, and the more we can find out, or I guess the more things we can find out that we don't know, just the more inspired we are. So. Um, it sort of came about through that, and then I came across your website um, when I was watching. So I, w- I watched the the Pyramid Code, um, which Dr. Carmen Bulter appears on um, quite heavily, and um, and then I came across yourself when I was re- doing some research and just started reading up on on some of your blogs, and uh, thought I've got to get this bloke on the show. It's going to be too interesting for him um, to to disregard. So that's uh, why we're here, to, <laughs> here tonight or, or today, where where you are. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. That's yeah. great. That was a great. That was a great interview. Also, that uh, that that both uh, Graham Hancock and mm. Randall Carlson did on Joe Rogan, and and actually I met Carmen uh, last October in a uh, event we had out here in Southern California. Yeah, part of the south where I am, and uh, that was that was pretty awesome too. So, was and that, actually, John yeah. John Anthony West was there. And yes, Robert Shock was there, and we can talk about some of those you know, c- catastrophist things that were discussed in that fantastic mm. conversation between Rogan, Hancock and, and Carlson. And, uh, yeah, it's actually pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting how it dovetails a little bit with the work that I'm doing. So we can, yeah. we can get into that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, let, let's kick things off. Um, Dave, so how about, how about you tell, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and who you are and, and, and what you do. Great. Yeah. So I'm talking to you from California. That's actually my home state where I was born, but, uh, I was in the army for a little while and traveled all over the U S but, um, and a little bit to other countries, but not too much, but, uh, actually for about the past eight years or so, I've been researching the connection between the stars and the myths. And I really got into that through a book, called Hamlet's Mill, which was published in 1969 and was kind of a seminal book that I probably learned about from Graham Hancock, one of his books, probably Fingerprints of the Gods, which was one of his big, big ones from the uh, early 90s. But Mm. uh, Hamlet's Mill really talks about the connections between the stars and the myths and kind of does a survey going around the world and mainly talking about ancient connections, but some of these are still present in folklore, but you really find them in the myths and scriptures and sacred stories that are found all the, all around the world. So that really fascinated me because I was already already really into the myths growing up. I loved the myths. My parents got me books about the Greek myths and the Norse myths, and I also grew up loving the stars and mm. have always uh, have always loved the stars and the constellations. And we can talk about that. But anyway, yeah. So this really that really resonated with me. This uh, thesis that they're putting forth in Hamlet's Mill, 
And I really wanted to dive further into that. And um, it also <laughs> it also kind of disturbed me a little bit because I was taking the Bible as if it was literal at that time. Sure. Which, you know, um, and they they don't really dwell on the Bible completely. That's not the focus of Hamlet's Mill. It's really more about the ancient myths of ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, right. a lot a lot from ancient India. The you know this ancient scriptures of, of ancient India that are in Sanskrit and uh, and they touch upon a few Bible episodes and I was like, oh, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really like that. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. they tell, tell me that they're all based on the stars. So I yeah. really had, I kind of became obsessed with it and really had to know more. And, and so I'm still in that, st that's still in process, but it's mm. like learning another language because it's really like there's this code. So it's like, I'm becoming more and more fluent in this language. I don't claim to be the expert in this language, but what I'm trying to do is point out the structure of this language so other people can learn it too. So that mm. they don't come to me for the answers, but if you learn these, you know, if you learn this code or this language, then you can go to the myths yourself and talk to them in their original language instead of asking someone else, Hey, what's this, what's this myth trying to tell me? You don't mm. have to ask me or anybody else. You can learn the language and go to them yourself. So we can talk more about that. Yeah. Now, one of the things I find the most interesting, because I was just, I've been doing a bit of um, research into your work and, um, and obviously with, um, with the other guys you mentioned before, what I find so interesting about it is the, 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 the similarities between, um, between gods and, 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 and religions over the ages. Like, I think, um, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was a, uh, there, was, there was a documentary that, that, um, that spoke about the similarities between Jesus Christ and, and Krishna and, and Mithra and, and all these gods. And um, I was wondering if you could sort of shed some light on that. And especially because you mentioned before that you, you were taking the Bible literally. What, how has your sort of mindset shifted into coming under, to understand all of this stuff that you do now? Yeah, good question. So um, to answer that second part first, I believe that they're all connected, um, all closely related. And that's not really the way that uh, if you're taking the Bible, literally most people who take the Bible literally, and by that there's, there's, you know, I tend to, uh, I tend to like go off on tangents or, or get, oh, it's kind of like, I'm kinda like a crazy, <laughs> crazy college professor. I end up uh, <laughs> talking about something completely that I realized, but, um, so taking the Bible literally can mean there's a large spectrum of taking the Bible literally. But if yep. you believe in general that it's talking about literal people or literal figures in historical terrestrial figures that were on earth, that Moses mm. was an actual person and Jesus and his disciples were actual people, I would say that's on the spectrum of literal, taking it literally. Sure. Now, some people will be more literal and some people will be less literal, but Usually, if you say um, all of these stories resonate so closely with other myths and mm. stories around the world that can be shown to be based on the stars, mm. that I believe it's very hard to take them as if they're talking about literal terrestrial people that were actually on the planet. In fact, I think they're talking about events that take place in the heavens, and so they're not talking about literal 
like let's say King Solomon, right? What sure. was Solomon? What was he known for? I'm actually not even too sure. This is testing my uh, my old uh, my old religious. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good a, question. Mate. Let a, me come back in about five minutes. That's a put minutes. you on the spot too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spot you've done too. well. <laughs> so anyway, he was known for tremendous wisdom. Sure, okay? sure. So he was this king who was endowed with just more wisdom than anybody else, you know, and if you take it literally, well, then it's, well, he lived a long time ago. He mm. was this specific historical figure. He had this special wisdom that I don't have access to. Uh, that was great for him. He had all this wonderful wisdom, but I don't believe it's really about some external person who lived thousands of years ago. I think yep. this story is actually about you and it's talking about how you have access to Solomon got his wisdom from the divine, infinite creator, God bestowed it. It said he asked for God to write, you know, put wisdom on his heart and God did that. That's actually something, it's not just about him like, oh, that's nice for him. It's actually about you. Sure. There are all kinds of stories about judgments. In, in the Solomon story, in fact, he's told in a vision, he has this dream he, he does this sacrifice in a special uh, place, and then mm. he has this dream where he's told, hey, pick anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he says, well, I've been made this king, and I, I, I want to have judgment to help the people because it's so hard to judge. And God says, I'm so glad that choice pleases me that you didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for power, you didn't ask for right. uh death to your enemies. These are all things you could have asked for, but you asked for wisdom to yep. help the people. And so I'm going to give you riches as well. Well, there's other stories of judgments like King Midas. And you remember King Midas from yeah. ancient Greece? Yeah, yeah, right, I do. So, yeah. But now, he was actually also given a choice by the god Dionysus in most uh, versions of the story. Right. And he didn't... He didn't choose wisdom, though. He's actually known for being the king who chooses wrongly all the time. Midas <laughs> always makes the wrong choice. Sure. So what did Midas, remember what Midas asked for? I don't know. Oh, come on, Tom. I know. I'm <laughs> killing you. I'm absolutely killing you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. He asked for, basically, he was, he was already a king and already wealthy, but he wanted gold. And so he wanted to turn everything to gold. So he got the Midas touch. Haven't you heard of uh, you know, everything very good. turns to gold? Yep. But he soon soon found out that was a terrible choice because, you know, if he took a drink of water because he was thirsty, it turned to gold in his mouth. Yes, he tried yes. To take a bite of, uh, you know, uh, of some food and it turned to gold and <laughs> like you know, almost broke had. his teeth. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he turned his... He turns his daughter into gold, which, you know, yeah. is the most horrifying. Absolutely. And so then he had to go to the gods and ask for them to reverse the decision. So there's lots of actually parallels to this myth. You find there's a, the Trojan War was started when uh, Paris, it's called the Judgment of Paris. Yep. He was a guy, he was a, a, a prince of Troy, and he had to choose between these three goddesses who was the most beautiful. So mm. there's all these judgment, so there's these parallels around the world. Okay. Mm. So back to your original question was, how do I take the myths now? Mm. I don't believe Solomon and his judgment were just external. That was great for Solomon. He got great wisdom. Oh, Midas, he's so stupid. Nobody could ever be as stupid as Midas. Mm. How could anyone wish to turn everything to gold? Uh, and then he turns his own daughter into gold. You know, he basically was committing suicide. Mm. If, he, if he didn't get the gods to change that wish back, and, and eventually the gods gave him a way to restore everything, and he went and did it. And he said he had to go dunk his head in a river. 
Right. Anyway, uh, he dunks his head in the river and, and his daughter gets turned back into a human being and, right. and everything gets restored. So that was great. But if we look at him externally, we would say, well, nobody could be so stupid as Midas. And uh, I could never be as wise as Solomon. But really, I believe these myths are actually about us. Yes. And there's a there's a. Uh, and, and so the, I believe that the story of, you know, all these stories are actually trying to illuminate, uh, our situation here in this world that, which we're all trying to figure out, like, yes. what am I doing here? What's it all about? And why do am I depressed now? And why am I happy now? Mm. And what's, you know, what's, what's this all about? So, um, that's what I think the stories are saying. You can, you actually act like Midas plenty. <laughs> But you actually have access to what Solomon had. Yes. You have access to this infinite realm. And actually, Randall Carlson talks a lot about sacred geometry. I believe sacred geometry is showing a lot of the same things. It's kind of, and in, in he talks, uh, or, or sacred geometry uh, experts talk a lot about things like the Vesica Pisces, which is this symbol where the two circles uh, come together and there's an overlap between them and the edge sure. of one circle touches the center of the other circle. And that overlap, I believe, is one is kind of a picture of the intersection between this invisible realm and the physical realm. Yes. And, yes. We, and we ourselves are actually an overlap between the physical realm and the spiritual mm. realm. And we all kind of sense that. It's like, sure. you know, you could, you could say, well, I, I love that girl for her spirit or you know it's great that she's beautiful but i you know i want to love her for who she is it's like a connection we have an energy she is yes right yeah so so it's like we all realize hey we don't want to just be loved for our physical body which Mm. like wait i want that person to know who i really am and we have this sense that we're actually more than just a physical body we but we're we do have a physical body so we're this intersection Mm. and we're in this realm this universe that is also physical but it has a spiritual component or an invisible component. And they're not separate. They're actually overlapping. It's yeah, not dualistic. They're, they're connected. Yeah. So uh, go ahead. Jump right in. But, um, you know, that, that Vesica Pisces symbol of the overlapping circle. So sacred geometry gets into these same sorts of things. But I believe that they're shown in the myths and that their myths are doing that for our benefit. But if, mm. but, but if we want to gain access to what they're trying to tell us, it would help if we listen to them in the language that they're actually talking, Yes, which yes. I believe is the language of the stars. Yep. So that's the really, that's kind of the radical conclusion that I came to is that they're all based on the stars. They're all closely connected. To get back to your conversation between Graham Hancock and yeah. Randall Carlson, Joe Rogan, I believe that this fact that they're all connected and, and we can I can talk about lots of other examples of connections, like you mentioned, Krishna and um, there's a, there's many connections around the world that shows that they're all closely connected. They're all based on the same celestial system, which the ramifications of that are enormous. But mm. it probably means that there was some there's different ways to explore possible hypotheses that you could l- use to explain that once you accept the overwhelming evidence that they're all connected and they're all using the same system. Well, yeah. I could could talk about that evidence, but it probably comes from some ancient civilization that was lost and then um, that we don't know about because it predates ancient Egypt, it predates ancient Mesopotamia. It's extremely, it predates ancient China. It shows up in the earliest texts 
of Mesopotamia, ancient wow. India, ancient ancient Egypt. So it was probably some civilization before them. And until recently, people like Graham Hancock and John Anthony West yep. and Robert Schock were talking about some ancient civilization before Egypt. Yep. Were ridic- they were ridiculed by the, you know, the scholars would say, hey, where's your evidence? Where's your pottery shards? Where's your exactly. you know, ruins of this ancient civilization? But recently, Gobekli Tepe has been a real game changer. And I'm mm. sure that you're familiar with that. So anyway, um, that's that's a, a long answer to a very good question that you asked. No, it's it's fantastic. I um, Gobekli Tepe is a fascinating one. It's uh, that that is that the that's that site that ancient site in Turkey that's the first known site of agriculture that sort of predates twenty thousand BC. Well, something um, on those lines. Well, not twenty thousand BC. So they believe. Right. Um, so you're right. It is in southern Turkey. It's close to actually to the border of Syria. And I don't believe it's easy to go there right now. Yeah, no, uh, copy. Because of geopolitical events, Absolutely. which is obviously tragic. So, yeah. uh, but but Graham Hancock, you know, has uh, uh, written this most recent book, Magicians of the Gods, and he went there. And Robert Schock has been there, and I got a chance to meet and uh, spend a lot of time with Dr. Schock at this cool. event that I was talking about in October, and he gave a fantastic presentation about. Um, you know, the evidence is that it's probably was completed by 10,000 BC or right. uh, around 10,000 BC. And there's different ways of dating it. And actually, Graham Hancock goes into that in that Randall Carlson interview and in his book uh, and Joe Rogan interview that, that you were mentioning. But also uh, Robert Schock talks about it in a couple of his most recent books. Mm. Forgotten Civilization is one of them, Forgotten Civilization. And uh the fascinating, another fascinating aspect of it, it's, it's this huge site. It's got uh, circles, which have astronomical alignments of very large stone mm, pillars, mm. Uh, very finely uh, smooth and, and sharp edges, and some of them 18 feet tall, so you know, weighing many tons, and very thin, almost like a knife edge. Uh, they're almost balanced, like knives, you know, balanced on their points or something. And some yeah. researchers believe that they actually may have vibrated. So that goes back to your serenade, right? They may have, you know, they may have been so finely balanced that maybe they swayed in the wind or something. But amazing, they appear to have astronomical alignments. They also are very extensive. So that they've only been started to be excavated in the late 90s and early 2000s, and um, it was known to be a site, but it wasn't really known what all was in there. So um, that's so ancient, 10,000 BC. Yeah. And it was, so the other thing I was going to say, it appears to have been deliberately buried, and it's very large. They've only uncovered about, I think, four or five of the circles, but there may be, uh, you know, dozens more of these circles and cover cover yep. a huge area, cover a vast area of these very tall pillars, which takes a lot of work. So um, I'm not sure that they found, as you said, agricultural, but the ability to have the time and skill to and specialty, specialization to do this kind of stoneworking and alignments. And they're obviously very astronomically aware already that they're setting this thing up and aligning yeah. them. Um, 10,000 BC, and it was deliberately buried, which is Dr. Shock says several times, probably took just as much energy 
and time to bury this whole site as it did to build it. Um, by 8,000 BC, it was completely buried. And why, why would they deliberately bury it? And the stones are kind of stacked, you know, they like buried it with stacked stones and sand. Mm. But if you think about the typical understanding of dynastic Egypt, for instance, like those pyramids, 2,500 BC, 3,000 BC, if this thing was buried by 8,000 BC, yep. that means it was 5,000 years before ancient Egypt, okay? Yeah. It was buried by 5,000 years before ancient Egypt. Well, how long ago was ancient Egypt from us? Here we are in the year 2017, yeah. right? March, April. We're in April 2017. If if the pyramid texts, some of the oldest texts we have were 2,500 BC, mm. well, that was only 4,500 years ago. So mm. this thing was buried. This thing was buried by 8,000 BC. It was made by 10,000 BC. So it was as ancient to the Egyptians. <sighs> it had already been buried for 5,000 years yeah. when ancient Egypt is coming along. And ancient Egypt is only 5,000 years ago to us, yeah. right? So this is as ancient to them as Egypt is to us. And and it, and this thing was probably in uh, use for 2,000 years maybe. Um, you can go into the dating. You know, Robert Schock is a geologist, so mm. uh, I think his dating arguments are very per, uh, persuasive. So anyway... Mm it may have been in use for 2000 years. Well, think about how long ago 2000 years was, right? That was yeah. the Roman empire from us. 2000 years ago was like the times of the Romans. That's how long it was being used. And then it was buried for 5,000 years before the Egyptians came along. Or, or <laughs> it at is least mind boggling, isn't it? <laughs> so that is way earlier than anything that they'd had before. Yeah. And it's quite, it shows a pretty uh, sophisticated level of stoneworking and things like that. So anyway, mm. uh, a, a bit of a long digression, but it shows where did, you know, how I, I can give you evidence. Um, and we can talk about the evidence that all the world's myths are based on the same system. Yes. Well, um, immediately the, the academic conventional paradigm defenders of that paradigm would come in and say, hold on, that cannot be. We know that, you know, uh, if, if that's true, then there's something that needs major revision in our, ancient, our understanding of ancient history, our mm. timeline of ancient history mm. doesn't really, um, doesn't really admit to a connection between all the, uh, different myths. And actually, so, you know, you and I are both sitting here, I'm in California, you're in Melbourne, mm. um, which are lands that were actually colonized and settled by, you know, violence and taken from other people, right. Yes. That were living there before. So yes. the native Americans, these stories, the Native American myths and sacred stories are based on the same system. And the Aboriginal Australian stories have some evidence of this same system going on. And as, the, as you probably are aware, the Aboriginal Australian culture is extremely ancient and extremely um, – it was believed to have been isolated for many thousands of mm. years or you know, very uh, – very little contact, but if this system is in place in some of the myths of the Aboriginal cultures, then that shows that there's probably some very ancient um, common ancestor to all of these Definitely. stories around the world, and yet they have their variations, but they can be shown to have uh, a, a similar system at their foundation. Well, that that totally 
upends the conventional narrative of human history and says there's something we don't know about. Definitely. Either either all these cultures were all going around and talking to each other, and that's that's probably not the right answer because I don't think the ancient Egyptians were no. actually sailing around and and saying to the Australians, "Hey, let's share." <laughs> there, there may have been connections. Let's have a throw probably, shrimp on the barbie and <laughs> exactly. But probably there was something that they were all um, connected to even earlier than the ancient Egyptians. Yes. And then, then it got separated. Then the peoples kind of got separated or that, you know, there was some loss and, and the burying of Gobekli Tepe, mm. both Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson and Robert Schock talk about the evidence of a catastrophe on earth's surface. There was probably some kind of catastrophe that caused everybody to literally have to go underground, uh, to survive. Yeah. Uh, and, and it may have wiped out a lot of knowledge and it may have wiped out a lot of civilization and it may have wiped out a lot of people, but the survivors kind of eventually struggled back and tried to preserve remnants of what was known. And that's how I think probably all these myths are probably the remnants or, or they, they're probably the, uh, you know, evidence of something that was once uh, more well understood and now we kind of have these fragments that we're trying to piece together. See, this, 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 oh, you've just, you've opened up a can of words and there's so much I want to just uh, bring up with you. The, uh, the first one before I lose my train of thought is that I, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, I can't for the life of me understand how all these ancient civilizations and, and, and communities of people across the ages can all just seemingly look up at the stars and develop their own parables. Um, so we're, we're going with the word parable. Um, to just note that you know all of these historical figures like Jesus and stuff were actually parables and 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 ways to sort of better live our lives and that that's the way I see sort of religious text. I, I look at Jesus if he was a real person or not as just someone who was talking about ways to you know better live our, our own lives and and Eckhart Tolle in his book The Power of Now talks about that that analogy of the, the kingdom of heaven is actually just a place a place of internal bliss. You find yourself if you if you live with Jesus, in quotation marks, if you if you live at one with yourself. But I just can't for the life of me understand how all these civilizations would just coincidentally be able to look up the stars and develop these 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 myths that they sort of live by that are just so similar to to, to others. I mean, you hear about, uh, you know, let's say there have been about 3,000 gods across the ages and there are Many gods that have been crucified. There are many gods that have uh, performed miracles and, and risen for the dead, and, and and other things that are just so so similar. But uh, I wanted to to bring up. You talk about. You spoke about the um the the major uh, catastrophic event that happened in during the the younger Dryas epoch. I think that that Randall Carlson and 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 Graham Hancock talk about. But uh, I actually wanted to bring up Noah's Ark with you um, because. I heard, or I think I read somewhere, that maybe that myth came about as one of the the survivors, as you mentioned, trying to preserve all of the the ancient texts and all of the knowledge that we had. So he went onto a boat and tried to to travel the world. There's, I think, there's other civilizations that that speak about um, sort of people traveling the world to to preserve these things. And and uh, you, you look at sort of Christmas Islands and uh, Christmas Island and and, and Gedang Padang and and other places across the world. And uh, kind of points in that direction do you do you have anything to, to shed some light on in terms of Noah's Ark and, and that sort of stuff yeah great uh, yeah. great question so so 
that was actually, I just want to talk about real quick, something you mentioned at the beginning of that. So I do yeah. believe that these, you know, the stories of Jesus and Moses and Krishna are there. It's not that they're not true. I'm not saying they're not true. I'm saying they're not, right. I don't believe they're literal. And I do believe they're talking about, uh, your, you have an internal connection to the infinite. Like you mentioned mm. the kingdom of heaven. Yes. And I believe that actually the stars, uh, they are an infinite realm, right? When we look up to the stars, they are, we are actually looking out into an infinite realm. Now we can't see with our naked eye infinitely far, but we are looking out into infinity. So I believe that, that all these myths use the starry realm as a picture of the infinite realm, but it's mm. not, it's not just out there, but as you said, there's the kingdom of heaven that's inside of you, which the scriptures tell you over and over. And actually in many of the letters of the apostle Paul, whoever he was or she was, right? I don't even think that Paul is necessarily the real name of that writer. Yeah. It was Saul whose name was changed to Paul. Well, both of those are actually, <laughs> actually those are solar names, right? Wow. Saul, Saul, solar uh, is a solar name. Yeah. And Paul is actually related to Apollo, Castor and Pollux. So anyway, uh, we, we could go down that. Uh, I want to get to Noah's Ark in a second. But uh, this idea that there's an external uh, salvation that you have to go chase or an external, oh, you know, there's an external Jesus who is divine for me on my behalf. Yep. Means that it's something that's outside of you. And then it, be, and it can actually become a thing that divides people because it's like, well, do you have do you believe it the way I believe it? No, you don't. Okay, mm -hmm. then you're wrong. and You're wrong and I'm right and I have to fix your problem. That's right. Yeah, That's I'm gonna, right. I'm going to come over and fix you. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, as I just briefly alluded to, as I said, you and I are sitting on land that's basically been taken from its original inhabitants and uh, tragically and criminally, right? So uh, that's wrong, but it came about from a culture um, – in general, Western Europe, that was infused with a very literalistic interpretation of Christianity, sure. which then got the idea that, okay, we're right, and everybody else is wrong, so we can go take what we want from them and change them yeah. uh, from from what they believe to what we believe. And if you understand that actually all these stories are based on uh, a common ancestry, there's like this precious inheritance to all people and we all have pieces of it mm. and it's all it's all connected and they're all closely related then you would not go around and say okay we have to drum out your traditional shamanistic yep. uh totally. you know belief system and change it to ours so anyway we can all agree on that but i just wanted to mention that i believe that the understanding uh taking it literally can lead to some I believe mistaken understandings and also has historically led to some unfortunately tragic consequences. So, uh, having said that, <laughs> I, I don't know if you wanted to jump in. You sounded like you were about oh, to no, say no, something. No, I'm just um, totally agreeing with you. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, you know, people believe what they want to believe and that's totally cool. But I, I think, um, and this is why I tend to gear towards, uh, sciences is my way to go with, with logic and reason. I think, um, so much turmoil and, and, and hate and violence comes from trying to convince people of beliefs when they are just that. They are just beliefs and, you know, no one really knows what happens when we die and no one knows, you know, this and that. We, we really don't know a whole lot. You know, I think a lot of these, these aggressive belief systems come from a, 
a need or almost a fear to 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 need to to know the answer. And I think um, it's actually a beautiful thing just to resonate in the in the fact that we don't really know much and we're here for a, a short amount of time. But that's that's totally cool. But um, yeah, I I'm fascinated by your. Um, your, I guess, understanding in the, the fact that they're not literal people or they're not literal tales, but they're all sort of written in the stars. But yeah, that's all I was going to say anyway. Yeah, no, well said. And and uh, and so actually to segue into your question about Noah's Ark, mm. I am pretty convinced that there was a catastrophe on planet Earth, maybe many, many major catastrophes. Yeah. Uh, but um, and I believe that's an important part of the discussion and an important part of this mystery that we're trying to unlock of human history, this puzzle. It's like we've got this pu- these puzzle pieces. In fact, as you said, you know, we don't have the answers. I did, I did want to, I don't know if this is the right time to uh, say this quote from Hamlet's Mill, but there's this kind of famous quote from the beginning of Hamlet's Mill that I mentioned earlier, that book that was pretty influential on me. And this quote's been quoted a lot of times, but they say that... Um, the dust of centuries, they, they, they talk about this ancient system of, of, it was kind of a system of myth, but it related to a system of number, a system, of, as I've mentioned, of geometry, sacred geometry, a system of probably ancient monuments, you know, and you guys do a lot of travel. We can talk about that, but yeah, they say that, you know, this, they call it this ancient worldwide ruin. They say the dust of centuries had settled upon the remains of this great worldwide archaic construction when the Greeks came upon the scene. It was already covered with dust, you know, layers of dust, yeah. centuries of dust by the time the Greeks showed up. But they said <laughs> yeah. it's, they said it's tantalizing fragments of a lost hole. Wow. They said it's like the mist landscapes of which, you know, like the Chinese paintings where it's mostly mist, but they show here a rock, here a gable, here the tip of a tree and leave the rest to your imagination. So it's like pieces. They're all connected, but there's gaps that we don't that we don't know about. So we're trying to piece it together and we can do the best that we can. And so I, I'm trying to, uh, uh, you know piece together this language that the myths are speaking, which is a celestial language. So to get to the question of Noah's Ark, although I believe that we've had a literal catastrophe and that's important to find out, well, was that a comet strike as mm. Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson talk about, Robert Schock talk about, uh, talks about it may have been something to do with solar activity having a very long cycle. There are things called coronal mass ejections and mm. plasma ejections from the sun that could uh, be devastating. Um, and, the, and it appears that the sun kind of has cycles of activity that are very long, maybe 12,000 years. Um, so anyway, uh, what that catastrophe was, we can talk about, but the evidence is pretty much, you know, if you, uh, if you go through my blog, you can actually look up Um, I, I have talked about, you know, the potential for a literal flood, but I don't, I'm not sure that the Noah's Ark stories are meant to be taken literally about a literal person. Sure. Um, I actually believe that it may be talking about going through the flood may have to do with, uh, a spiritual, the spiritual and physical interplay that I was talking about earlier, just Mm. like I believe the Trojan war, you know, in the Greek, there, there's two great, uh, very long Greek epics, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And they're all about the Trojan war is the Iliad is about the Trojan war with Achilles and Hector 
there on the plains of Troy. And then the Odyssey is Odysseus trying to get back from the Trojan War. Mm. Uh, but I believe that that Trojan War was actually a metaphor for the interplay between matter and spirit, this interplay between matter and spirit that we're all experiencing here, the material realm, the invisible realm, the physical realm that we're all involved in. And I believe that Noah's Ark and the flood, going through the flood or passing through a flood actually may be a metaphor for passing through the physical world. The, the You know, you may have heard about the four elements like um, earth, air, Wind, uh, wind and fire. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, earth, air, water, and fire. Air is wind, right? Oh, so yes, yes, sir. <laughs> the higher, the, the higher. That's all right. The higher elements are air and fire. I was trying to remember them myself. And sure. the lower elements are earth and water. Yeah, yeah. So, as we go through this physical life, we're in a body. We're in a physical. You know, we're encased in this physical body that's sometimes, like in the Bible, called the the body of clay. Uh, you know. And actually, in the Prometheus myth in ancient Greece, the people were made out of clay, and then Prometheus brought them this this divine spark from heaven. Yeah, he was punished for he was punished for doing that. But you know, they were they were made from well, what's clay? Earth and water, right? The lower elements. So as we're passing through this life, we're passing through the lower elements, but we have this divine spark. You know, like Prometheus brought them the spark. We've got this. Spark, that's one of the higher elements, fire, uh, but it's encased in earth and water or clay. So as we go through the flood, uh, that is, it's not just Noah that went through the flood, you're going through the flood. Yep. Or Moses went across the Red Sea, right? The, yeah. the Red Sea, that Moses and all the children of Israel had to cross out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They cross through a water uh, barrier. Well, we're mm. going through the Red Sea right now, right? If you think about it, if you cut your finger, a little drop of the Red Sea is going to come out. You're, you're passing through the Red Sea right now because you're with, yeah. in a body yes. that's got blood. And Odysseus in the Odyssey, I don't know how familiar you are with um, the story of the Odyssey, but it's mostly him against the god Poseidon is trying to stop him from getting home. Yep. Poseidon, Poseidon is not happy with Odysseus because Odysseus blinded the Cyclops, who's one of the sons of uh, Poseidon. And sure. not, not only did Odysseus blind the Cyclops, but then he taunted the Cyclops, which he shouldn't have done that. And then the Cyclops gets very angry and calls to his father Poseidon and says, uh, you know, I, I, it makes this prayer to Poseidon to give Odysseus a hard time that he would never get home. But if he does, he would get home years later, shipwrecked and all his friends perished. Mm. And that's basically what happens with Odysseus. So Odysseus mm. passes through the flood. Uh, he passes through the ocean. He's, he's tossed about and he has all these adventures on the sea and he gets almost home. He's able to see the campfires of home. And then all of a sudden, uh, down below decks while he's not watching the passenger, the, the crew, I mean, are, are looking at this bag that, uh, of wind that he's been given on the island of Aeolus or, uh, the island of the winds. And they say, Hey, there must be some treasure in here that Odysseus isn't telling us about. Let's open it up. And all the winds come out and he, he was seeing the cooking fires of his home, home Island. Yeah. And yeah. He gets 
it gets blown all the way back across the sea again. It has to go through more adventures. So that's kind of like what we are. We're going through the spin cycle of the ocean. I don't know. I, I know that. I know that Doc has mentioned that he likes to surf. I don't know yeah. if you do a lot of surfing. I think everybody in Australia probably surfs better than me. Yeah, but I love we all surf. basically live on surfboards. <laughs> yeah, so right. So you go through the spin cycle sometimes when you get hit by a wave and you're like, oh, I'm in the washing machine. I hope I get up to the surface pretty soon. Absolutely. Well, that's what, that's what we're all going through. We're yes. in the spin cycle. We're getting spun by the waves, the metaphorical waves of the lower realm. So mm. that's what I think See. Noah going through the flood is actually um, – pattern it's it's a myth pattern i call them myth patterns there are some uh there's actually a school of folklore study that call these patterns oikotypes okay uh, they, they they show up over and over in these different cultures around the world and actually the myth of the flood is one of the most widespread oikotypes or myth patterns that you'll ever find it's found in almost every culture that there's this myth and that people survived it in a boat in the Greek myths, there's a story of someone named Deucalion who has to go through a flood. And he also releases birds, just like Noah does, um, until, um, you know, in his, there's a, there's a raven, um, there's a dove. The uh, ancient Babylonian texts, which are found on these clay tablets in their cuneiform, have a flood uh, story. In fact, in the Gilgamesh epic or the Gilgamesh cycle, Gilgamesh goes to the Babylonian Noah, or as he's called, some of them are in uh, Sumerian, some of them are in uh, Babylonian, or some of them are in Akkadian, which is the, uh, these ancient Mesopotamian languages. Sure. But uh, in one <clears throat> flood myth, the, the character is called Utnapishtim, or Utnapishtim, and that Ruh. na sound, yeah, Utnapishtim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also Zithuthra is another... That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so anyway, that na sound, Utnapishtim, yeah. na is very close to Noah. And actually, the name John, you know, if you ever know anybody named John, yeah. that that name uh, is, is, is also related to Ivan or Owen. Like okay. Irish people have the name Owen. That's yep. a Noah. That's a Noah name. That's yes. a name... Uh, or the Oannes, this uh, mythical creature that's talked about in some of the um, ancient writers talk about this creature called Oannes that comes up out of the sea, uh, this fish creature with, you know, uh, either a head of a fish on top of a human. Anyway, Oannes is also a Noah name, and it's related to the name Owen Mm. or John or Ivan or Juan, right? So anyway... Um, the, the myth pattern of Noah is found around the world. And I believe it can be definitively shown to relate to the stars. The flood that comes down from heaven relates to the stream of the Milky Way. The Milky Way galaxy actually appears in myth often as a stream. Sometimes it's called the ocean stream. Um, Odysseus travels along the ocean stream. At one point he has to go to the underworld and the Places he pass. I talk about this in Star Mist of the World, Volume Two. Sure. The places he passes are all constellations on the Milky Way. Um, so when Noah releases these birds, there's two huge birds in the Milky Way. Um, the the constellations of Aquila and Cygnus, which uh, Cygnus is the swan, 
and aquila is the eagle. They're right there in the Milky Way. So mm. almost almost all these flood myths have a bird involved. There's also a, a ship that's also along the Milky Way that's called Argo Navis or the um, the Argo. And actually, that's a constellation that you guys can see down there in Australia. All right. More easily than we can. It's closer I am to currently the... looking out my window, so uh, what am I looking for here, Dave? <laughs> the big tin yeah. can in the sky? Or... <laughs> yeah, that's like trying to tell you how to find how to do something on a computer screen. That's that very I true. See, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit tough. I get frustrated quickly trying yeah. to tell you. But, um, yeah, yeah. But, the, but the Southern Cross is actually quite close to Argo Navis. Okay, and right, there's a, right. There's a constellation called Columba, the dove, mm. right? Columba. Now – the new world, so-called new world, was supposedly discovered by someone named Columbus, right? right. Columba, Columba is the dove, and it's right next to the ship, right? So this this figure, Christopher Columbus, who discovered the new world, that's quite a coincidental name. Anyway, there's probably yeah. more to that story. <laughs> Joseph Farrell talks about how there's probably more to that story than meets the eye, but Joseph Farrell is someone you should check out if you haven't um, checked yeah, out his definitely, writing. definitely. Anyway, um, there's often a dove involved in these stories, or it certainly is in the Noah myth. And uh, that dove is right next to Argo Navis. And as I show in uh, my most uh, – uh, so my books, uh, Star Myths of the World – and how to interpret them. There's three volumes, and the third one is called Star Myths of the Bible, and it shows how actually in the beak of the dove, Columba, the dove, you can see uh, some stars that look like maybe that's what is talking about the sprig of olive tree that it brings back to right. show to show Noah that it's now safe to go out of the uh, now safe to go out of the ark. But anyway, when Noah comes out of the ark, he makes a a gift or a, a a sacrifice and a, uh, the the you know, it pleases God. Well, that that pattern is also found in the Babylonian text. It talks about after the after the flood, there was a a sweet savor to the gods, and so these these patterns show up over and over again. And I believe they can be tied to specific constellations. In fact, the Milky Way, which is sometimes a stream, is sometimes a a, a column of smoke or a column of fire. Absolutely. So I think that it, yeah, after the flood, the 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 sweet savor of the sacrifice that goes up to uh, heaven is probably the Milky Way. And there's actually a constellation. You can't see it too well from the southern hemisphere, but it's a northern constellation called Hercules. It's up pretty close to the North Pole. And that constellation Hercules is usually the most powerful god in any, yeah. uh, in any myth pattern. So like the god Zeus relates to that constellation Hercules. And Hercules, the character, Heracles or Hercules, is also a son of Zeus, which means he's probably the same constellation. Yep. In the in the uh, Sanskrit texts like the Mahabharat, yes. there's a great powerful one of the five brothers is the most the strongest and he carries a big mace and his name is Beam and he's a Hercules figure. So uh, there's there's figures that have uh, like Thor is a Hercules figure. They mm. usually have. They usually are carrying a mace or a powerful club, like Hercules carries a club, or a uh, hammer. In the case of Thor, which is similar to a mace, and that's because the constellation Hercules has this huge. Uh, the outline of Hercules has this weapon. So anyway, the the uh, 
the Milky Way goes right up past Hercules. I believe that's the sweet um, savor of the sacrifice that goes up to the, you know, pleases the gods mm. in a lot of these, uh, a lot of these Noah myths. So anyway, not to get yeah, too sidetracked so, on the Noah myth, but I think it's no. all connected to the star. Yeah. So I wanted to, um, I just was, was um, hearing all these things, obviously you just saying, and um, I'm just think, trying to sort of understand this in, um, in, in layman's terms, I guess, is it because we were talking about before how, it's 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 close to impossible if we're thinking logically that all these civilizations across the time and space, if you will, on Earth, have have all these these very similar myths, and they're they're, they're very very similar. And I guess is is the overall contention here that there was an ancient, intelligent human civilization, thousands and thousands of years ago, that that were connected to all the civilizations, or that had that had almost like a global connection that spoke of all these myths. Otherwise, how how would all these same myths sort of pop up in, in the different areas? Right. That's that's so so we've got the evidence of all these myths popping up in different areas and then yeah. we have to somehow explain it. So I think the a likely possible explanation is that there was some ancient culture, uh, whether it was a civilization, you know, whether we define it as a civilization, it was definitely spiritually very advanced mm. because I believe that these stories are not just, it's not just a, uh, a fun puzzle to say, Oh, okay. The 12 disciples. Okay. Which one is which constellation? Because I believe they do relate to uh, different signs of the Zodiac, you know? The sure. 12. Yes. Yes. Okay. But I believe that there was actually, it's not just for fun that they were doing that. There was actually a spiritual uh, wisdom that they're trying to encode and pass on. And so I believe this ancient culture was extremely spiritually sophisticated. And so all the different sacred traditions that every culture on our planet, virtually every culture has sacred stories. And I believe that they're almost all, uh, you know, I, I haven't found any that don't have celestial connections to yeah. them. And in fact, a lot of times they talk about celestial connections, like shaman, uh, shamanistic uh, type of cultures will often the shamanic journey will often be explicitly described as being a journey up these this ladder up to these different realms of heaven and encountering these heavenly uh, beings. So it's almost it's very difficult to explain uh, how this happened, but I yes. believe it's. A good hypothesis is that there was an ancient culture, and as I mentioned with Gobekli Tepe before, mm. and people like Graham Hancock and John Anthony West and Robert Schock have been talking about that even before Gobekli Tepe was unearthed wow. or ex or excavated, yeah. but they were laughed at and they were ridiculed. and And Robert Schock talks about how he was in this. Uh, debate, he was kind of ambushed in this debate where <laughs> this Egyptologist kept coming after him with, where's the pottery shards? We would have evidence. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, now with places like Gobekli Tepe, I mean, there's just more and more evidence uh, coming to light that there was some sort of ancient culture mm. that's kind of been uh, forgotten or left out of the history books uh, or deliberately left out. Who knows? But, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, some people would say, well, you know, there, there are counter arguments like, well, everybody can see the stars. So yeah, they, uh, so they all came up with their myths based on the stars. Uh, big deal. I just don't well, buy that. <laughs> the, well, 
Well, it's it's actually a good. Uh, you know, we have to look at all the. It's like a crime scene. We got to look at all the possibilities. Yeah, but, yeah. But the 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 point that I uh, make is that there's some of these. Uh, first of all, the constellations don't necessarily. When you look up at them, you don't necessarily go, "Oh yeah, that's a beautiful woman," or "Oh yeah, that's exactly. a baby." Exactly. And, and yet, that shows up as a beautiful woman over and over and over again. But it would take a little effort for me to even show it to you and say, "And that's how you get the beautiful woman." And you go, "Really? Huh? That's interesting." And there's one where it's, there's one where it's a baby, uh, like in the myth of Achilles, how Achilles, uh, he was supposedly dipped in the, either the river Styx or in a fire to make him invulnerable. And he was dipped, he was held there by his mother, by his heel. And that's why we have an Achilles tendon, right? The Achilles yes. heel. Yes. That's the one, that was the one vulnerable spot in, in the myth because that's where she was holding him as she dunked him in the river. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's so, a great story, isn't it? And it didn't get covered, right? Or it was covered by her hand, so it, yeah. it didn't get made invulnerable. So that's where actually Paris is who shot the arrow into Achilles' heel. Yes, uh, according to the legend. But there's lots of myths where a baby is dipped into the fire or snatched out of the fire. Um, there's actually one in ancient Egypt. There's actually one in uh, the Polynesian cultures of the Pacific, the, the Maui yeah. story, uh, there's a failed baptism pattern. Anyway, where the baptism doesn't quite, it's like a baptism of fire, it doesn't quite make him invulnerable. Anyway, the, uh, that is a very obscure, uh, the, the constellation that I believe represents the baby, it, it's a pattern that we find around the world. It's actually also in the Solomon myth. There's a myth where Solomon has to choose between these two women bring a dead baby and a live baby. And he has this dilemma. It's the judgment of Solomon. Anyway, right. it's always the same baby. That constellation, it would be very unlikely for all these different cultures mm. to come up with that that's a baby. I totally agree. All these yep. Because it's, it doesn't look like a baby. It's actually yes. the Northern crown. It looks like a necklace and it shows up as a necklace in a lot of myths, but it also shows up as a baby. So these kinds of and there's other ones too where there's one where there's a wind and it shows up as a wind in all these different stories in fact mm. it's involved in the the crossing of the red sea is because of a wind god sends the wind to to part the red sea yeah. the flood the flood of noah is actually rolled back by a wind god sends a wind to end the flood and that's a specific constellation and the same wind is found there's an african myth that i talk about or an african god they're, they're called an Orisha of the Yoruba people who uh, Shango and his wife Oya is a wind. Uh, anyway, this same pattern of a wind is found with the same constellation, I, I would argue, around the world. And you would say that's really obscure. Mm. And so it's pretty hard to argue that they all came up with that independently. Okay. Well, like even even at the very sort of simplistic way of looking at it, I mean, the, the, these civilizations are, are across the the ages are in completely different parts of the earth and none of them can possibly be looking up unless I'm missing something. They can't be possibly all look, be looking up at the same constellations because they're, they're looking up at different parts of space. So how could they come up with stories that are just so succinct with one another? Well, and actually they also have different constellations in different cultures. So you would say, well, we would expect myths to be based on the stars, but they should all be different <laughs> because they yeah. have different constellations and yet it appears based on my what i've been researching it appears that they're all using 
very much the same system. So I believe there was some system in remote antiquity that was uh, somehow survived. And all these different cultures treasured this system. And they, they saw it as being very valuable and very important. And they held on to it as uh, there's an author named Peter Kingsley, a great, great uh, author that people should check out. Peter Kingsley has written a book called In the Dark Places of Wisdom, but he talks about the original instructions. These different cultures, such as the Native Americans, talk about the original instructions that they were given, you know, to their ancestors. And they, they treasure and revere these ancient, you know, stories because they're their original instructions. But it's like we've especially when we start taking them literally, yeah, it's like, it's like we've been cut off from them, which may be, um, you know, why we're so hungry for contact with cultures that haven't been cut off from them as much. Like the places where the Roman empire didn't conquer, like India, there's still a stream that connects all the way back to the ancient Sanskrit stream. Yeah. There's still, there's still a current that's connected with, traditions like yoga and some of the practices that have survived in India or in ancient China, these connections of like Taoist meditation where they haven't been cut off completely from this ancient stream. How did we get cut off from it? I believe it was had to do with that literalistic. Um, the, I believe that the stories in the Bible are actually metaphorical, but at some yeah. point another it was like no you can't take them metaphorically if you do you're a heretic and we're gonna punish you severely or yeah. you know you're gonna go you to hell and <laughs> and so we got we got cut off from our original instructions yes and so so uh we're hungry for those that that wisdom that's there and so i think it's uh i think it's really important that we realize hey this ancient wisdom is probably you know it's probably the remnants of of this ancient culture that ties us all together. Like yep. we're, we're all connected to it, you know. Um, somehow we can all uh, say, "Hey, this should unite us, not divide us." <laughs> Unfortunately, well, it's been used, used to divide us, but it actually should should be like, "Wow, I want to learn about. <laughs> I want to learn more." You've got a piece of this knowledge I guess, is there like a piece of the puzzle yeah. uh, that can help us anyway. exactly and I, and I think that uh, you know you mentioned before how Robert Schock was um, you know someone sort of had a go at him and I, I guess the it's kind of ironic or, or hypocritical because the, the overall goal in science is to always look for the evidence and on that premise you're always looking to be proven wrong so you should never sort of say, oh, you can't be right because this is this, especially if you're a scientist, you know? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. That is, uh, how can you just throw out the possibility well, yeah, of an absolutely. ancient civilization and say, well, that's, you know, that, and, and, and I think that Gobekli Tepe, you know, it's, it's now been, uh, over a decade that it's been being excavated and studied. Yeah. The, the history books should have been changed by now. Right. But exactly. they haven't been. Exactly. It should have really, it should have already, they should, the, the academic world should have already come out and said, Hey, you know, our paradigm was obviously flawed and we're hard at work, uh, trying to fix our paradigm. Now we, we had to throw that one out. We got a new one coming. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Has, that, has, oh. that has not yet happened. So anyway, uh, you know, that's why my, uh, allegations that these myths around the world are all based mm. on the same system mm. 
are probably going to be uh, seen as threatening or not super welcome in the halls of many academic, uh, you know, convention defenders of the conventional paradigm are going to say, wait a minute, this guy's over there in that department talking about the myths, but it seems to be threatening to what I'm teaching over here in the history department. So, you know, you better shut that. <laughs> you better yeah, shut get rid that of it. Guy, get rid of it. Shut yeah. that guy up. You know. Yeah. So, I don't really pretend that this is going to be uh, embraced immediately by the academic community. They're going to say, "What myths around the world based on the same system? Yeah. Nonsense. Can't be." <laughs> but, the, but you know, I've written thousands of pages now with hundreds of diagrams showing uh, this this system in action in the myths of the Maya, in the myths of North America, uh, the, the, in the myths of the Pacific Islands in the myths of ancient Japan, yeah. in the myths of ancient China. So it's, uh, it's pretty fa- fascinating to me. Uh, so you mentioned before about how this, I guess, this global ancient civilization with all this, this infinite wisdom um, was, was very much spiritually enlightened. And I wanted to move the, the conversation into the realm of, of consciousness. And, and I just wanted to get your, your, your thoughts on, on all that sort of stuff. And uh, Hancock, I just finished reading Magicians of the Gods, actually, and um, he talks a lot about, Bill actually just read uh, Fingerprints, I think, and um, uh-huh. they were talking a bit about, well, he was talking a bit about how he believes that consciousness developed through hallucinogenic drugs, and he gives that famous talk about how he, you know, quote unquote, went to went to hell and back um, on an experience with, with DMT. Um, I wanted to get your, your, your thoughts on consciousness and... and um, and sort of how that ties in and to, to, to the metaphysical and without getting sort of too jargony with it, um, if you can just yeah, give sure. us a basic, basic rundown of, of what your whole scope is with that. Right. So the whole m- metaphor of the stars being the realm of the gods, I believe is trying to tell us that there actually is a spirit realm or an invisible realm. Yep. Well, that's the way that that's the way they describe it in the in the myths. So once again, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I don't claim to be the interpreter of these myths. Sure. I'm trying to point people to the myths. Yeah. I think, totally. I think if people ask the myth, myths for themselves, they'll find out the answers. Cause I think the myths have the answers, but I believe in general that they are depicting a, a vision of the world or a cosmology, if you will, of, uh, what we might call, um, a, you know, a shamanic worldview yes. or a, uh, a worldview where there is a spirit world, okay, where there's an invisible realm that's actually connected to this realm and it's actually present, it's actually present at all times in this, this physical realm is only apparently physical, it's actually got a spiritual component. So every animal that you interact with has a, you know, don't mistreat your dog and don't, uh, you know, don't just chop down trees for the fun of it. There's a spiritual component in everything uh, that we don't see, but that's the invisible component. And the same thing with, uh, with ourselves. Every human being has an infinite component, uh, a, an infinite connection, an internal connection to the inner world, and therefore is infinitely valuable. And so you, you, you can't just judge people by their uh, external appearance or their external situation. Mm. Everybody's got an infinite realm inside of them. So, um, now how do I get to that from the stars? Yeah. Well, you see the stars, they, they rise up just like the sun. They rise up from the Eastern horizon. They sink down into the Western horizon. 
and they're constantly doing that all through the night. If you lie awake at night and watch the stars, because of the rotation of the earth, they'll rise in the east, they'll set in the west. Yep. There's, also a, there's also an annual cycle, and the annual cycle has to do with the interplay between light and dark, right? The winter and summer, and you guys are heading into winter, we're heading into summer, but uh, there's this interplay between the days get longer, the days get shorter, more, more nighttime dominates in the winter, longer hours of darkness, more daylight dominates in the summer. Yep. So um, that is a perfect metaphor for describing the interplay between matter and spirit or light and light and dark. Well, when the stars rise up, let's just talk about the sun. It rises up out of the eastern horizon. We know that the earth is rotating, but it appears that the sun pops up out of the east uh, and then it goes and sets in the west. Well, it sails through the heavenly realms and then it sinks down into the lower elements of earth and water, right? If you see it, if you see it sink, as the sun sinks down into the west, it sinks down into the earth and water, right? Yeah. You're, if you're looking out, you know, here in California, as I look out into the west, I see the Pacific Ocean. So the sun sinks, sinks down into the Pacific. Well, it's sinking down into the lower realms and exactly. it's traveling, metaphorically speaking, it's traveling through the underworld until it gets back to the east and it pops back up. Now, I don't think mm. that the myths actually teach a flat earth or that the people who made the myths believed in a flat earth. I think there's plenty of evidence that they knew the earth was round. You could talk about the the fact that all these ancient monuments are positioned on great circles of the earth, which means they must have known it was a spherical earth and they must have had a pretty good idea of yep. its, size, its size and shape. But anyway, um, that metaphor of popping up out of the underworld and sailing into the heavenly realms of the spirit realm, the sun, when it's traveling across the sky, is going through the upper elements of air and fire. That's the realm of spirit. But then it always sinks down into the realm of matter, earth and earth and uh, water. And that is a perfect representation of the worldview of an interaction between spirit and matter. Mm. And so here we're actually in the lower realm because we're in a physical body. But we're like a spark that came down from the spirit realm. We're traveling through this lower realm, just like the sun plowing through the underworld, or just like Noah going through the flood, or just like Odysseus getting tossed around in the spin cycle uh, of the realm of Poseidon in the ocean. We're, we ourselves are like um, visitors from a spirit realm that are plowing through the material realm. Mm. And so all the stars do that as they, they're a perfect metaphor for this. And so I believe that actually as we uh, as we look at the myths, they talk about um, kind of the first birth and the second birth. That's pretty well understood because of Christianity talks about, hey, you have to be born again. Well, there's actually lots and lots of myths where there's a second birth yep. or there's two there's two mothers. And you go, wait a minute. How can someone have two mothers yeah. in this myth? What 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 are these pyramid texts from ancient Egypt talking about the two mothers or a lot of times there are twins there's Castor and Pollux or Castor and Polydeuces, the, the two divine twins of Greek myth. One was divine, or one was immortal, and one was mortal. Well, that's a picture of us, actually. The two twins are not just two different individuals. Like I said, with Saul and Paul, he's actually one person, but he has two, he has his kind of his lower self 
and his higher self. And I actually believe that the myths are kind of teaching us there's a first birth when you get born into this body. Yeah. But then, then there's kind of an awakening where you start to re- – and at first you're just kind of totally absorbed in the physical. And we actually can probably all look at our lives and say, yeah, you know. Uh, there was a time when all I thought about was physical. Mm. Uh, it was like very you know. egotistical and it was very yeah, much, egotistical yes. And just, you know, it's all about sex. I just want to have sex. That's all I want. Yeah. And then there's like, and it's then right, there's like, right wait, life, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So then, but there's also like this awakening, like, well, you know what? I think there's actually something more or actually uh, a spiritual. And, and so it's not that they're too, they're not in opposition. The point is they're, you're supposed to actually get them kind of integrated. Like you have to get connected with your higher self. And that's what the myths are actually talking about a lot Definitely. of times with the story of like Thomas doubting Thomas. So that's your name, Tom, right? Yep, that was me, doubting, doubting Thomas. Yeah, Tom. Tom, Thomas in the Bible uh, story. I don't know if, you know, I won't put you on the spot, sure. but why, why is he called Doubting Thomas? Because he, because he, after, he did doubt yeah, that uh, Jesus yeah. had resurrected. Is that what it was? Right. That's yes. right. Yes. So there's this confrontation scene and Jesus says, hey, uh, here that you're doubting. Yeah. Uh, stop, you know, uh, come over here and put your hand right here in the, in the hole. Uh, That's right. In the hole, right? And this actually, I've, I've written a lot about this and it appears in a lot of my books and it's also on my blog. And if you go to my website, there's some uh, discussion of the Thomas. This scene actually relates to the constellation Capricorn, which you know, there's actually a St. Thomas's Day, which you know, we could get into all that. But um, sure. uh, the constellation Capricorn is actually pointing towards the wound in the side. Uh, uh, the, the constellations themselves, it shows that I believe it shows that this is a, a celestial metaphor, but it's also really. There's, so yeah, yeah. so he, it's pointing to a constellation symbol for 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 Jesus, um, and the and the and the hole from the from the stab wound in his in his ribs. Yeah, it's pointing to uh, it's You're pointing kidding. to Aquarius. Now, so Capricorn is right next to Aquarius. Wow. Aquarius is um, Aquarius is a sign in the zodiac that's actually between the sheep and the goats, right? So he says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. Capricorn is a goat. Aquarius is actually right next to Pisces, but right after Pisces is Aries. That's the ram. So the ram is the sheep. Capricorn is the goats. Um, the, the, the constellation Aquarius, the outline of Aquarius, um, has a wound in its side or it has, has a, a, a forward leg that's very long, distinctive, uh, running kind of posture. And that forward leg is also appears in the Iliad where a lot of characters get speared in the side, uh, or killed by a spear wound yep. right to the gut, right to the gut, or sometimes it goes through their back and comes out the front. Yeah. And usually, Beautiful. usually the, the character, yeah, nice graphic <laughs> imagery in the Iliad. Yeah. But usually that character is a headlong runner or a swift runner. So in the Iliad, if you see someone who's a swift runner, a lot of times that's Aquarius because the outline of Aquarius actually looks like a running figure, but it also has this wound in the side. Anyway, Capricorn's horns are pointing right to the leg of Aquarius. Actually, to see all these outlines the right way, some of your listeners may be going, what is he talking about? When I look on Wikipedia, when I look at the the app on my phone, it doesn't look like a running figure at all. You got to use the outlines of someone called H.A. Ray. And you may be familiar with H.A. Ray. He's Ray. The, he wrote, along with his wife Margaret, he, he wrote, wrote and illustrated 
the famous stories of, did you oh, find it? Oh, Curious George. Correct. Yes. So he wrote Curious George, but he also wrote these books about how to see the constellations because the way the constellations are outlined makes a big difference as mm. to how you can actually spot them. Well, I don't know if H.A. Ray knew the ancient system or if he was just a genius and he came up with the ancient system. Yeah. Oh, I got to get back to your ayahuasca question. Or he was connected to the invisible realm and that's how he got the ancient system. So yeah. you asked about my worldview. So I got, I got a little sidetracked. But the story of Thomas and Jesus is like our lower self and our higher self. And actually Thomas... If you're a Bible scholar, if you study the Bible a lot, you'll know that the figure of Thomas in the New Testament is sometimes called Thomas Didymus or mm. Didymus, which actually means the twin. So Thomas is a twin. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's twin figures and myths all around the world. The Maya have these hero twins. There are twins in almost every myth system. And I believe it has to do with our lower self and our higher self. So your question was, what, how do I see this, you know, spiritual, we're supposed to be getting in touch with our higher self. And when Thomas, Thomas stops doubting and puts his trust in Jesus, I believe it's a picture of how we're supposed to be coming integrated with our higher self. Yes. Yes. It's just like Arjun and Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is the higher self. Arjun is the semi-divine hero, just like we're semi spiritual. <laughs> We're semi-divine, but we have to get in touch with Krishna. You've got to, uh, the, the proper relationship between Thomas and Jesus is for Thomas to stop doubting so much. So our lower mind is always doubting. And, and actually doubting is not a bad thing. You know, we, we, have a, we have to have a critical facility. Like I was saying, hey, we have to think of all the possibilities. If it's a crime scene, yeah. don't just accept the first offer you know, every crime story with Sherlock Holmes is like the first explanation is always wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, Absolutely. You gotta look for more clues or like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the first explanation is always wrong. So the doubting facility of our mind is actually good as long as we don't let it run away with us. But yes. Thomas was letting it run away with him. It's like thinking is good. We don't want to not think, but overthinking is bad. If you're trying to surf a very large, challenging wave, you better not overthink your mm, takeoff mm. or you're going to get eaten by Absolutely. that wave. If you're playing a basketball game or rugby or whatever, you, when you're trying to take that critical shot at the last second, you know, buzzer beater, overthinking, okay, how far away am I from the basket? How high do I have to arc this ball is going to mess you up. So we have this, uh, we have this lower mind that's actually important to have but we got to get it in touch with our higher self. And that's what meditation is all about. Yes, it's definitely. like quieting that, that Thomas mind, that doubting mind, because your doubts can run away with you. Yep. Like, uh, you know, you might never ask a girl out if you let your doubts run away with you totally. too much, right? Mm. So you got to, uh, you got to find that strike, that, that right balance between thinking and overthinking or between Thomas and Jesus. You've got to, the twins have to become instead of antagonistic to each other, uh, integrated yes. together, working together in yeah. the right relationship. And the higher self should be controlling the lower self. And that's what a lot of meditation is trying to get us towards, getting in touch with quieting the lower self and letting, uh, getting in touch with our higher self. So I think the myths are actually pointing us 
towards that or practices like yoga, mm. practices like mm. Tai Chi. And actually, I want to say a shout out while we're while, before I forget, you're Please. in Melbourne. Good, good friend of mine um, is in, in, involved with Elevate Yoga. That's right there in Melbourne. So you can go oh, check really? out. Elevate Yoga. Yeah, hopefully that's, she does, that's amazing. Hopefully she doesn't, she doesn't get, uh, mind that I'm putting that out over the airwaves to the whole wide world. Everyone should go to Elevate Yoga right there. In, uh, so yoga is a practice that can help us get in touch with our higher self. And if you read things like Light on Yoga by yes. BKS Iyengar, uh, hopefully I'm saying his name right. He talks about, look, yoga is the asanas is part of yoga, but that's just one little part of yoga. Other parts of yoga have to do with ahimsa, not doing violence. Or, yeah, totally. Or not, 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 uh, get it, not, not, not hoarding things or, uh, not, you know, being jealous of others. And, and it has to do with getting in touch with your higher self ultimately. And a lot of these myths reflect, uh, he actually quotes the Upanishad, the Katha Upanishad, that talks about um, the wisdom, this one seeker of wisdom, and he goes to Yama, and Yama says, you have to become like a flame that's not flickering, that's not, that's still. Well, anyway, I think these myths are pointing us towards that kind of spiritual knowledge. And so now to just wrap back around to sure. your ayahuasca sure. question, or DMT, or mm. psilocybin, I believe that you can get in touch with the higher realm. I believe that human beings are actually designed to get in touch with the higher realm. So you can get in touch with the higher realm. There's all kinds of techniques. Mm. There's um, books. There's a book called Shamanism, Archaic Techniques of Ecstasy that talks about all the different methods of going to the shamanic realm that are found around yeah. the world. Uh, drumming, spinning around in circles, Inhaling the smoke of marijuana that you, you know, ganja that you throw on, you know, they make like a bonfire. Yeah. So you can use use substances like ayahuasca, and you will go to another realm. Yeah, right? oh, definitely. You can, but let's say you're on a desert island that doesn't have ayahuasca. Are you stuck? No. Mm. You can use meditation. You can use breathing techniques. You can use uh, all these different techniques and technologies that have been preserved over the centuries or discovered over the centuries, uh, chanting mantras, um, obviously different plants, uh, or mushrooms. Uh, not that I'm advocating that, uh, you gotta no, be careful with, mush uh, careful with mushrooms, obviously. I've done some mushrooms, mushrooms a fair few times and, uh, I've had a few experiences on them. So, <laughs> so you're going somewhere, you're really going to another realm. Oh, you are totally. <laughs> and, uh, and I believe, so as I said, there are many possibilities for how all these myths got around the world. Maybe one explanation, I'm not the first one to think of this is, yeah. well, if everybody goes to the other realm, maybe some teachers in the other realm uh, say, hey, this is the way to understand the stars and this is the way to explain the spirit world. You use the stars. So maybe they all went to, maybe it wasn't one culture that somehow uh, all these other myths are descended from this ancient culture. Maybe all these different cultures on their own went to the spirit world and were taught by the same teachers, the same patterns. That's a possible explanation. Jeez, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, what about if it wasn't just a one way stream? So if, you know, just because we have the, the power to sort of connect it to that spiritual realm, does that mean that that spiritual realm has the power to come over to us? Great, great question. So I believe that if, 
we had in, in I say the shamanic worldview, uh, that's, you know, that term can be overused, but I'm using it as a general term to mean the worldview that there is an invisible realm of some sort. It can be called the other world, the dream time, the, the spirit world, the realm of the gods, even, um, even the realm of pure potentiality in quantum physics. Some of the, the writings of these theoretical physicists of the past hundred years have been talking about, well, there seems to be this realm of pure potentiality. So I believe there's a spirit realm being talked about and that we have access to it. And so there are some things that can only be learned by going there. According to the, sh the shamanic worldview, basically in general, speaking in a general way, says that there's certain things you can only learn by going there. And there's also certain things you can only fix by going there. Yes. Like a shaman might have to heal a disease of somebody or fix a problem like, hey, where are all the antelope? Uh, well, they've all disappeared and we can't hunt them because somehow we've pissed off the antelope. Uh, so we got to go to the spirit realm to fix that problem and, and, and repair whatever uh, insult that we've done to them. So yes. there are certain things can only be fixed by going there. Well, that implies that there's a two-way street, right? Because if, if, you, if you can heal a disease or fix a problem by, only by going to the spirit realm, then that implies that changes that happen in the spirit realm can affect what happens here, and maybe things that happen here can have an impact in the spirit realm. But and a lot of times in Greek myth, in fact, in the Iliad, the, you know, the gods are upset and you know, the, the ships can't sail because the gods are uh, changing the weather. Yes. Because some, some god or goddess has been offended, and now some, <laughs> you know, we have to go find the prophet to tell us, hey, what's going on in the spirit realm? Oh, well, you, you see, you insulted the goddess Artemis, and here's what you have to do to fix <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, yes, I believe it's a two-way street, and I think that actually even quantum physics talks about the realm of pure potentiality. So that's like the realm where everything is possible. It hasn't manifested yet. Well, that's and in right. Fact, there's, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'll let you go. I was, no. I, I was just throwing Laird Scranton has talked about, he, he has talked about the Dogen people of north northern part of Africa sure. and how they, they interact with the spirit realm. And he's he said they have some interesting metaphors to explain how this works. And I talk about one of them in a blog post. But it's like yeah. the infinite realm is pure potential and this realm is manifestation. So we and and so we can we can do things here that the pure potential realm can only observe, but um, well, I'm not saying that exactly right, but it's like sure. if a tree, if a tree is still in its acorn, how many branches does it have? Well, we don't know how many branches it's it can have. Yeah, it could be anything. Infinite potential. Yes. But then when it grows into a tree, then it does manifest a specific number of branches. You could sit there and yeah. count all the branches and say, yep, oh, oh, that oak tree has 4,000 branches. Sure. And one. You know, so it, now it's now it's come out of the realm of pure potential and into the realm of physicality. So there's this interesting interplay between like the gods can show us signs, but we have to do some things. It's like we have to take some action. Yes, they can help us, but we have to do there's a there's a synergy. So it's not dualistic. It's like 
the material realm and the spiritual realm are not two different realms. They are on top of each other. They're interpenetrated. They're intertwined in this way that's really amazing. And, you know, if you go to the myths, they'll help us understand how they're intertwined and how to how to interplay between them. Well, see, yeah, I mean, God, it is fascinating stuff. I We probably should, I mean, it, it seems like you and I could, could probably talk about this for hours. And I think the next time we're in a... We're in California. We're, we're going to have to owe it to each other to uh, catch up with a couple of beers and, and, and have a chat because it's fascinating stuff. But I wanted to ask just quickly, mate, what, what's next for, for David Matheson? What are you, what are you currently working on or, or some, some, some ventures you're, you're, you're in clear sight of, uh, of, of walking down? Yeah, thanks, Tom. So it would be great to uh, link up sometime. It'd Absolutely. Be fantastic. Come on over to California and we'll uh, look at some stars together. I'll pull out the laser pointer and show show you know constellations and we can talk about the myths that yeah, connect to them that sounds epic be, love it that'd be fun and uh you know if you're doing a trip to southern california or something i can drive down there but um beautiful but right now i'm actually just getting a book out the door that talks about a lot of these patterns that we talked about and kind of how it applies to the human spirit you yeah. know uh or how it applies to our daily lives. It's called astrotheology for life. Sometimes this study is sometimes called astrotheology. I don't necessarily love that term, but anyway, uh, that's a brand new book that I'm working on getting out the door. And, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, just continuing this research and, and looking at other myths. So in this particular book, I'm trying to look more at patterns, but I've also, tried to just like delve down doing a whole book on the Greek myths, a whole book on the, the stories in the Bible. I'd like to do some other cultures. I'd love to go back and do like a really deep dive into the myths of India or Mesopotamia, or uh, I still haven't done the Norse myths, the Celtic myths. You know, there's, there's basically, you know, there's so much to there's so much material you could never run out and in fact you can't even do justice to any myth system in one book or a hundred books because it's just it's really it's infinite so i'm just trying to continue to learn this language and it's a it's a journey love it beautiful mate well let's uh let's move into uh three from three so three questions uh we normally say three questions from me and uh, actually no bill always leads this one off and he goes three questions from me three questions from tommy but today i will go three questions from tommy which is me (laughs) so so dave uh what do you like to do in your spare time my friend yeah so uh, (laughs) that's good um i do like to surf uh i think that you know, I think that interacting with waves in any form may, may be good for you, right? So you, totally. you're, playing, you're playing guitar, you're interacting with waves. <laughs> if you're singing, you're interacting, you're making waves. Very true. If you're, if you're surfing, you're, you're interacting with waves. So I do like to do that. I like to you know, study the myths. I like to go out and look at the stars. In fact, I think if everybody, if you want a free hobby that can be infinitely rewarding – you can go out and look at the stars every night. Yep. You know, if you walk the dog every night, you know, and walk the same route, and if you walk a, 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 a circle, you know, a large circle through your neighborhood where you can see off to the north, to the south, to, if you know, on your route, you can get views of all the different directions, then you can start to, the stars can start to become kind of familiar to. I've, I've used the, 
like the metaphor of a pub or a bar, right? If you go to a bar for the first time in a strange town, you won't know anybody. Yeah, for but sure. But if you go there, if you go there every night, pretty soon you'll actually start to become familiar with people, and then pretty soon they'll start to become your friends. Yep. But you, you kind of have to go every night, or you have to go regularly. If you just go out and see the stars every night, they'll start to become familiar to you, and then they'll start to become your familiar friends. And Definitely. they change throughout the year, so. Uh, I love to do that. So those are some things. Cool. Um, and I'm raising a family, so that takes Oh, up beautiful. Just, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. never get time to sleep, mate. That's fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, what about some uh, someone you look up to or a big inspiration you had uh, growing up as a kid? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, probably, uh, well, of course, I looked up to my dad. Yes. But uh, – I looked up to a lot of uh, military figures, so I ended up in the military. Maybe that was the wrong, uh, yeah, maybe it was the wrong path, or maybe it was the right yeah, path. Yeah. So, how but long I, were you in the military for? I was in the military, active duty in the army for eleven years. Wow. So I, actually, I went to the military academy. So, but actually, there was a book um, about called Crazy Horse and Custer, which was about. Right. Uh, again, <laughs> the, the tra- tragic wars between you know the U.S. Army and the Native Americans, but Crazy Horse was actually a uh, Native American genius, uh, military genius, but he was also, his name came from his vision. You know, he went to this on a spirit quest and saw a horse in the spirit world. Wow. And, uh, you know, in the Native American culture, every everybody could go on a, a spirit quest. It wasn't, there were shamans who were especially adept at going to the spirit world, but it was also something that everybody was, uh, capable of interacting with. And so crazy, crazy horse and Custer was this book by a a pretty famous, um, historian, but it was one of his early books. And it kind of talks about the contrast between those two figures. Custer was in, in many ways, a very flawed, uh, very violent guy, but, uh, crazy horse was, about the same age. And so he kind of talks about the upbringing, what, what culture they both grew up in. Anyway, so crazy horse was actually one of my, one of my heroes, uh, growing up. Uh, and Odysseus actually, the Odyssey was like this book that I loved even as a child. And I actually, so as I mentioned, I was in the military, I went to the military academy. I got to finish off teaching at the military academy as an instructor in the Department of English and Philosophy and got to teach the Odyssey. So that was fantastic. So Odysseus, the Odyssey is one of my favorite, most influential books on my life. And and Odysseus is really one of my heroes growing up, uh, even like from when I was 10 years old or something. That's that's amazing, yeah. Hey, uh, final question, my friend. If you can invite now, have you prepared for this one? Yeah, yeah, I saw your little. <laughs> okay, you know, go ahead and swing Excellent. it on me. This is a hard one. This is a tough one. So I think, uh, I think it. Look, what I'm probably going to start doing with guests in the future is give them some time to prepare for this one because more often than not, we've had uh, people just sort of stump. So it's interesting. Now, David, if you could invite three people, dead or alive, to dinner, who would they be and why? Yeah, so probably I'd choose alive, right? Yeah. I probably think so. Makes sense. Just, yeah. just, Unless you wouldn't yeah. want dead bodies oh, around a dinner table. <laughs> Look, I'm not I'd judging, mate. It's 2007, eight. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say this is a tough one, obviously, because there's infinite. Uh, yes. <laughs> we, we want to have infinite dinner parties. But, Absolutely. you know, I, I would say that 
one of the designers of Gebekli Tepe would be great to Ooh, have because cool. then maybe they could tell us about uh, who who this ancient culture yeah, was yeah. and what they were doing. That would be great. If I could have one of the designers of Gobekli Tepe, somebody who knew what it was all about, and I could also have a translator or I could speak their language, <laughs> that'd be great. So that that's that covers the extremely ancient. That's then, a good one. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll say her name right. Hypatia or Hypatia was uh, the last librarian of the Library of Alexandria, right? Wow. So there's this famous Library of Alexandria that was burned down and apparently Hypatia was murdered according mm. to the uh, stories by kind of a rampaging mob. Some, some blame it on the literalist uh, Christians may, maybe did this. I don't know. Yeah. But the, but the tradition is that the library of Alexandria had, they were trying to collect all the texts of the ancient wisdom of the ancient world. So uh, Hypatia would presumably as she was, she was supposedly extremely accomplished in all these different, uh, subjects of mathematics and geometry and history and having access to all those texts. She grew up in this library. I think her father was the the librarian before her. And so she was extremely knowledgeable. If she could come to the dinner party, that would be fantastic. So maybe she could tell us some of those things about the ancient world that were destroyed in that library of Alexandria and some of the mysteries about the ancient, you know, it was in Alexandria is in northern Egypt. That would have been uh, that would be fantastic. Sick. 100%. Yeah, her, her to cover kind of the uh, the ancient world after the, you know, Gobekli Tepe was so ancient. So we have to get one from there to cover that. And yeah. Hypatia, tell us about that. And then I would say Martin Luther King. Uh, Maybe go on. To help us out with the situations that we're in today. Definitely. So he was living, he was living in a very turmoil time. And obviously he was. Uh, criminally, tragically assassinated, yes. murdered. Uh, I have a feeling he knew a lot about what was really going on in the 60s, which was this incredibly important time when mm. there was a struggle going on and not necessarily, uh, didn't necessarily turn out the right way, right? All the, many of those great leaders from that time were uh, silenced yep. by assassination, including Martin Luther King. So, but he uh, was being very effective at, uh, creating change and um, doing it in a nonviolent way. And I think he would have a lot to tell us for our situation today. So those are my Definitely. three dinner party guests. Tom. Beautiful. I love them. I think I'll have to get down to that dinner party. What are we eating? <laughs> <laughs> vegetarian. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Fair enough. All vegetarian <laughs> and non-GMO and organic. Yeah, exactly. Well played. Hey, uh, David, yeah. finally, uh, where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Uh, your social medias, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, just first of all, thanks so much for having me on, and thanks for uh, you know giving me a platform. Sure, to, awesome, man. I really, really, really enjoyed this conversation. These are, you, you did great preparing and uh, asked great questions. Beautiful. So, thanks, man. If people want to, yeah, yeah, so thank you. And if people want to learn more or read more, uh, I have a website called StarmythWorld.com. Beautiful. You could actually just you know if you just search for my name Matheson and stars, you'll probably stumble across. Uh, something that could take you towards my website, starmythworld.com. And on that Star Myth World website, there's a bunch of myths. So there's a section called The Myths, and you can, I've got maybe 20 or so myths there that I talk about the connections between the stars and these different myths. Yeah. Or, uh, or gods and goddesses, uh, like Ganesh, there, I think, is on there. 
Um, there's also a section called books where you can read some of the sample content from my books, um, by clicking on the pictures of any of the titles there. Obviously people can read the books by going to their local bookstore and asking them to get it. It's distributed by Ingram, which I think is pretty big, uh, worldwide. So probably can get it to you in Australia if yeah, you ask sure. your local bookstore. Or you can even go to a library and say, hey, could you please order this book? And then they could have it on the shelves for everybody. But uh, so they can check out the book section. There's also a blog section on that same website, starmythworld.com. So I've got a blog that's been going for a long time. It's searchable. So you can search for topics like divine twins or twins or higher self or Achilles or Iliad or whatever. So uh, that blog is also... It's on that website, starmythworld.com. It's also, the older version of it is called Matheson Corollary. So that was like um, on Blogger. So they're both up and running in parallel. So you can find that blog and search on Blogger, or you can find it on my website. Awesome. They're both there. So lots of ways to find this stuff, but I just uh, would really try and point people towards the myths themselves. I think we've got this incredible treasure and so I think you can really uh, don't don't look to me for answers. You can go to the, you know, the Bhagavad Gita for yourself, or go to the ancient uh, Greek myths for yourself, and uh, and find all the wisdom there. It's it's right there waiting for you. Well, it's interesting you you mentioned the Bhagavad Gita is because a, a friend of mine actually just recommended it to me, and I've now started reading it. Um, uh, I've just started reading it, so I'm about, honestly, about a chapter in. But uh, it's amazing that someone was able to translate that ancient uh, language of Sanskrit into into English. And the 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 change it had on, on my friend um, Jared Fleming. For all our listeners, he's a he's a world champion uh, American weightlifter, as we all know. We've had him on the on the show a couple of times. But yeah, for for you, Dave, uh, the change that that. Um, was present in Jared and we just speak all the time about how, how amazing this book was and this is someone who now meditates for at least an hour a day and meditation is a huge part of my life and it's 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 an amazing text and I'm saying that and I've only read a page so <laughs> have you have you yeah, read the, the Bhagavad Gita or yeah so that's yeah uh, <laughs> you got another hour and a half now yeah, we'll say, have to do a I, second interview I think <laughs> no no I'll say real quick though actually it's part of it's part of this larger epic called the Mahabharat. Right. It's spelled Maha. It's spelled Mahabharata. Uh, you may. Uh, that's how I would kind of like pronounce right. it if I didn't. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but sure. I've been told they say Mahabharat, which is this fantastic story. And there's a there's a retelling of it by someone. I think his name is Krishna Dharma. Right. Uh, so, but you can search my website for Bhagavad Gita, or just search the word Gita. And uh, see some of the things that I've written about Bhagavad Gita. I, uh, once again, I would caution people: don't read my interpretation. <laughs> read the Gita yourself, and 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 see what it says to you. Maybe it's best for you to read it first. But if you want to check out the full Mahaparat, uh, it's it's a massive, massive. It's seven times longer than the Iliad and the Odyssey combined. Seven point two times longer than the Iliad and the Odyssey combined. But it's it's a fantastic story in the the interpret the the translation or it's kind of a retelling it's an abridged version by Krishna Dharma awesome. which is I think linked on my website is a great one so you probably really enjoy the story of Mahaparat and if you understand it as celestial metaphor I believe that the message becomes even more 
life changing. Yeah, I think that that's the, I think that's really the way to unlock it. But Bhagavad Gita, fantastic. Yeah, uh, and it really talks about do the right thing without attachment. Yes, without, yes, without fear of the results. That's really what Martin Luther King was doing, uh, or you know, lots of people were doing. But Martin Luther King knew that the outcome could be that people uh, would want to harm him, yep. but he still did the right thing. Absolutely. Uh, or he might've been told, Hey, why are you trying to change anything? It's impossible that anything will ever change. Well, I'm not going to get attached to the outcome. I'm still going to try and do the right thing. Totally. Maybe the outcome, maybe the outcome will be wonderful. Maybe it won't, but I, but the Gita Krishna says over and over, Arjun, do the right thing without attachment to the results. Definitely. So anyway, uh, I think that's, thanks for sharing that, uh, that about your friend and about your yeah about your uh, encounter with the Gita and I hope it's a I hope I hope that it's a great blessing to you the yeah. Bhagavad Gita. Well, absolutely, man. I'll um I'll have to email you back once I'm uh once I'm uh, I'm through with it and I'll let you know how I go. But you're absolutely right. Don't get attached to the outcome. It's all just about putting one foot forward in front of the other. And uh, no matter what the outcome is, if you feel truly at, at at one with yourself that you're doing the right thing, then then uh, obviously within reason, um, then you should then you should definitely pursue that. So it's fantastic. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Right on, Tom. It was my pleasure, and thanks so much for having me. Beautiful. And to all the listeners, that is a wrap. Alrighty, guys, really hope you enjoyed that show. If you wanted to get a rerun of anything Dave and I spoke about during it, head to www.adventurefittravel.com. Click the podcast link, and all of the show notes are linked there under the episode. As always, guys, leave us a rating and review. We love to read your reviews. We love to see your your five-star ratings. And uh, it's just, I, I love the feedback. I love hearing about all the stupid shit that uh, Bill and I say that we forget about. So please jump over there, subscribe, tell all your mates about our show. We are still relatively in our infancy, but we want to make this the biggest show of all time. So help us reach that goal. Guys, head to www.quashcreative.com. Mention AdventureFit Radio. Shawnee is going to give you a free basic SEO report on your website or your f- or feedback on your brand. Head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF. Get your free monthly credits, so free book when you subscribe to Audible. And as always, guys, head to www.adventurefittravel.com. Keep up to date with everything AdventureFit uh, and everything I like, and we will hear from you. Actually, no, you won't. You will hear from us next week. Goodbye.